Today is March 17th, 2021. President Biden takes flack for not holding a news conference since taking office. A new plan for how to deal with North Korea emerges. And Dr. Fauci says we may have a normal 4th of July. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another fantastic episode for you here on Split the Difference podcast, hosted by yours truly, Austin Taylor. We're looking at the left, we are looking at the right, and we are doing our best to split the difference and find that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. If you are new to our podcast, welcome in. We are so glad to have you. Our goal here is to try and parse through a lot of the political divisiveness that we see in modern-day politics here in America and try to find a middle ground wherever possible. We have our opinions, we hold them strongly, we hopefully have educated opinions, and we're okay with reaching across the aisle and having conversations with people because right now and in this day and age, that is something that we need more than absolutely anything. If you have not listened to the guest episode that I released yesterday with Charles McBride, please hop over and take a listen to that because that was a fantastic episode that we did. I mean, it was absolutely awesome. Great conversation. Really, really cool guy. And I think that y'all will absolutely enjoy it. I know that I enjoyed it a ton as well. So uh, hopefully that's some content that you guys like. And we hopefully will continue to roll out great guest episodes just like that one many more in the future to come. So with all of that having been said, let's go ahead and hop on into our first story of the day. Story number one. So for our first story of the day, Biden hasn't held a news conference since taking office and this has some people a little bit worried. So Biden has been in office for almost 60 days and has yet to hold a solo news conference for the purpose of laying out policy and allowing reporters the opportunity to ask questions about what is happening currently in his administration. He held his first primetime address last week to tout the progress that he has made on the coronavirus. However, this was actually the longest stretch of time, seven weeks, that any president has gone without having a meeting with the media for the, over the last 100 years. So uh, the White House has come out and said that it will hold a news, a news conference specifically for the purpose of allowing reporters to ask him very, very pointed questions and for Biden to be able to answer them uh, sometime before April, but they are yet to actually set a date for that. So the idea is probably here in the next couple of weeks to be able to hold that. Uh, Jen Psaki, the uh, White House press secretary, defended Biden's actions in front of reporters last week for not having a conference, news conference, saying that he has done many impromptu type meetings with reporters that allow him to ask questions about basically daily matters. Uh, and also that all of Biden's time has been spent very, very focused on the pandemic and the job that he has to get done right now. So he doesn't really have the time to be going out and talking with reporters all the time. Uh, because, you know, he's a really busy guy. He's the president of the United States. So he's actually starting to draw a little bit of criticism from the left as well about this. The Washington Post editorial board, which is notoriously left-leaning, came out and offered a condemnation of it uh, this current week, saying that it is, quote, past time that Biden hold a news conference. Um, so historically... News and press conferences have basically been used as a means by which for the president to promote and also communicate their agenda. 
to the broader American audience and also to the world as well. It gives the American public an opportunity to kind of see what is happening, ask some questions through, I guess, the reporters that are there. And then one of the great things about news in America is that for the most part, it's completely free, okay? The freedom allows for coverage from all different political points of view and really is crucial in a lot of ways for holding presidential administrations accountable for the policy that they are implementing. Without a certain level of insight, for the most part, Americans are somewhat flying blind, okay? And that's what a lot of these larger news agencies are coming out and saying. Listen, listen, President Biden, we, we want to be able to sit down and ask you pointed questions because we want to know what is going on within your administration because the American people deserve to know. And in those news and media's defense, right, which normally I don't go to the defense of a lot of the media in the United States because I think it's incredibly partisan for the most part, but... In their defense, right, that is how a lot of Americans actually receive a good portion of their news is through a large majority of these reporters that go in and, and, and write on and, and, you know, send out stories to the broader American audience. So what does the left and right have to say? So the left is only just now kind of getting started on becoming critical of this. Which is very interesting, actually, because they were highly critical of Trump's sporadic ways of getting out news. Trump did not very regularly hold any type of scheduled news conferences, especially not one where he is standing up at a podium and allowing reporters to kind of just pelt him with question after question. Uh, most of the times... It just turned into a shouting match uh, or basically him just shutting down more left-leaning news outlets because he didn't really like their coverage. Uh, there were plenty of times where Donald Trump was standing up on a podium at a news conference when he did have them and somebody from CNN or somebody from MSNBC or another more left-leaning news outlet would ask him a question and he would just immediately shut them down or not answer their question well. And for the most part, a lot of the media was very frustrated with, with that because they were like, listen, you're not actually getting us any of the answers that we feel like we need in order to be able to provide a thoughtful analysis of your administration. However, now it almost appears like they're kind of starting to miss that <laughs> because at least they had stuff to report on. During the Trump presidency, even though his news conferences were pretty sporadic and sometimes few and far between, he at least was having them and they could at least go and ask him questions and then of course crap on him on the airwaves afterwards with whatever it is that he said. It didn't really matter what he said. Joe Biden, he's not saying anything at all to the reporters and to the media, so they don't have a ton of stuff that they can just say, well, coming out of the words of Joe Biden's mouth, here's some different things that we can provide you from what we've learned about his administration. So the right, on the other hand, doesn't like it because they just don't have nearly as much coverage as they would like either, okay? Uh, the right-wing media, in a lot of ways, really thrives off of turning things into stories from the left, okay? Much of the reporting on the, that you see on the various right-wing media sites is driven by taking something that happened by, to, by or to someone on the left and turning it into a gigantic story, especially with culture war stuff that the right absolutely thrives on, okay? Nothing gets the right side of the aisle riled up more and all the culture war stuff. They absolutely eat it up because the right, in a lot of ways, even though they say that the left started the culture wars, the right just, I mean, that's what gets all of the clicks. That's what drives the most content is being able to say stuff that is incredibly inflammatory and get all of their viewership really riled up about all the crazy leftists out there, right? So 
And I think that in some ways you're kind of seeing a lot of this play out very, very heavily right now as Biden just isn't really giving them enough fodder. So if you look on Ben Shapiro or Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity or uh, Dan Boningo, all their content, especially over the past couple of weeks, the majority of it as of late has been almost entirely centered around culture war stuff, basically, you know, defeating the woke mob. Okay. So obviously they aren't going to like it and they're not going to be super happy when Biden just isn't holding a lot of news conferences because they just don't have a whole lot to talk about. The number one thing that was floating around all the right, the whole right side of the aisle news and media outlets for the 10 months leading up to the presidential election when Joe Biden was doing, you know, a good amount of talking in front of a camera was basically any gaffe or any mistake that Joe Biden made. If he made any type of slip up or mumbled through any words, it was immediately Immediately, the right wing was on it. He has Alzheimer's or dementia. He's going downhill. I mean, there were tons of videos floating around on these right wing, you know, media sites because that's for the most part what they do. Like they take a lot of the stuff that happens on the left and they just turn them into really, really big problems or issues, and that's how they get a lot of their clicks. So all of this, I think, kind of goes into Biden's overarching PR strategy that he's playing. Okay, uh, personally. Granted, this is just my humble opinion. I think that Biden is playing his hand exactly how he wanted to. He is doing exactly what he planned on doing from the day that he stepped into office. Biden hasn't always been the best public speaker or doesn't just love being put on the spot like a lot of politicians we know are, but I don't think that's why Joe Biden isn't holding news conferences. I think that Biden is pretty much going for the slow roll approach and trying to commute, communicate directly with the voting electorate, okay? Basically bypassing a ton of the reporting that traditionally has taken place, and obviously he can't bypass all of it completely, but he's trying to shift the way that presidents in the past have gone about getting their agenda out instead of talking about it in front of a whole bunch of reporters and the reporters pinging him with questions and having you know all their White House correspondents up there trying to get all the dirty, juicy details of what's happening behind closed doors in the presidential uh, administration. He's basically taking to Twitter or actually just traveling around the country and speaking to voters. This is a fundamental shift in the way that presidents have traditionally communicated over the years. Uh, and I have to say, a lot of it really did begin with Trump. No one was better at speaking directly to their electorate than Donald Trump was. He, you know, used a variety of mediums, primarily Twitter, but... He talked directly to the people that he wanted to speak to. And Biden, I think, kind of saw how well that worked and is like, okay, why not? Instead of allowing the media to control the entirety of the narrative of what's going on, I want to. I want to be able to send out my, you know, my White House press secretary and Jen Psaki can say anything and everything that we approve for her to say. She can get out some messages for us and that will hopefully satisfy the reporters a little bit. But when I want to talk about various achievements that I want to be able to get through in my administration, I'm just going to put it on Twitter or I'm going to just talk directly to the American people on a podium in front of a, you know, in front of a crowd, in front of a group. 
Um, so we don't have to be told as American people what the president is thinking by incredibly biased news sources that are that obviously have their own agenda. We can instead now just listen directly from the source and then we can decide for ourselves what it is that we want to think. Uh, this also uh, so there have been other times in history where this has kind of taken place. I think FDR is a great example of this where he used the radio during especially the Great Depression to be able to get out a lot of the policy and a lot of the messages that he was going to be trying to portray to the American people. So instead of going and talking to a news reporter where he could either be misquoted or, you know, his views could be skewed, he just instead hopped on a radio and talked directly to the people. Now Joe Biden is taking much the same approach, except now he's doing it through different mediums like social media or, you know, even like television, which wasn't really around when FDR was there. So I personally think Biden is really kind of playing this smart. He's not allowing the media to control a lot of the narrative that's coming out of his administration. And I think that's exactly what he wants. So... With all of that having been said, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our second story, story number two. So for our second story of the day, a new plan starts to emerge and kind of starts to come out around how exactly Biden, the Biden administration is going to formulate their foreign policy agenda with North Korea. It is the age old tale of that pretty much every president over the past 50 years has had to deal with and try to come up with a different tactic on how to deal with the rogue nation in Eastern Asia that is ruled by an incredibly cruel dictatorship that actually commits various human rights abuses on the daily basis and has been the source of a, a lot of unfortunate conflict between the United States and other nations within the area as well, which we will get into. So the history between the United States and North Korea is pretty much rife with conflict. Since the Korean War, North and South Korea uh, the Korean Peninsula, Peninsula ended up splitting in the way that it did. Uh, the United States has obviously taken up its ally as South Korea, and communist China has taken up its ally with North Korea. So the most interesting part about all of this is that it honestly has very little to do with North Korea itself. Instead, it has almost everything to do with our relationship with China. If China were not involved at all, the United States would be able to go in and simply crush North Korea. They are an incredibly impoverished nation. We have the most advanced and powerful military in the entire world. It would It's not like we are scared of or worried about fighting just the North Koreans, right? That is, that is not the worry that the United States government has. The worry that they have is their incredibly close ties with communist China. And we know that any provocation that presents itself inevitably, inevitably puts us in a poor position with their very close, with, you know, North Korea's very, very close neighbor in China, which of course would spell global disaster. So Kim Jong-un, the authoritarian dictator of and the head of North Korea, has actively worked to test each administration in the United States as they come in. So he fired off ballistic test missiles shortly into both Obama and Trump's administration, both of them with the aimed and pointed intent of trying to get a reaction from both of the presidential administrations to kind of gauge what exactly their policy was going to be with North Korea. Uh, were, were the administrations going to be a little bit more laid back? Were they going to be a bit more abrasive? How were they going to react to the different provocations that North Korea you know, would present? Because then North Korea has to decide whether or not they're going to continue doing that 
because they're probably going to be, you know, incredible amount of embargoes and different sanctions that get placed on North Korea. And there's going to be a tightening down of basically all the trade routes that would be going into North Korea through China. And the United States would try its best without actual physical action taking place to kind of stranglehold North Korea even more. So Donald Trump came in and had a really, really weird foreign policy strategy with North Korea. He was the first president to actually go and meet with Kim Jong-un or a leader there in North Korea. He talked about how they would be friends and that how they were going to be negotiating away their nuclear programs. If everybody remembers, they went back and they had that meeting and everybody was like, oh, Donald Trump is just a foreign ambassador that we've always needed in a president. He's so good at negotiating. You know how good he is because he had, you know, Art of the Deal ghostwritten for him, all kinds of stuff like that. And then when things didn't actually change, Trump took the exact opposite approach and kind of started turning towards name calling, like calling Kim Jong-un like Rocket Man or the Little Man, stuff like that, which obviously just really pissed North Korea off. If there's anything that makes incredibly, you know, Napoleonic type of dictators, which I guess you could never compare Kim Jong-un to Napoleon, but, uh, calling them and making fun of them and basically attacking their ego. Donald Trump knew that attacking Kim Jong-un's ego was the way to really, really make him mad. And so he did that. So, uh, it, at that point, North Korean relations started to sour significantly, and then Kim Jong-un ended up getting incredibly sick for a while, which I feel like a lot of people have forgotten about, but there was like months and months on end in the past year or so where Kim Jong-un was like just nowhere to be found, right? It was in the last year or two. And uh, he was just totally out of the limelight. Nobody knew what was happening to him. They knew that he was sick. There were a bunch of rumors floating around that he would be dying, and his sister started to take a bigger role. And things kind of started to quiet down a ton. Nobody's really heard anything about North Korea. So Biden is taking the polar opposite approach of Donald Trump, which is just exactly how we should expect. So last month, the Justice Department indicted three North Koreans on cyber theft charges. And afterwards, one of the assistant attorneys general said that they were, quote, a criminal syndicate with a flag. This caused a couple of Joe Biden's national security advisors to get very, very upset. I believe the word that was used by NBC was bristle. Uh, so this rhetoric was basically in conflict with how the administration had chosen to communicate about and to North Korea. They decided to use a quote toned down rhetoric so as not to act, so as not to antagonize Pyongyang. Their approach has basically been to not rock the boat while they totally iron out how they're going to deal with the problem of, you know, the country and the different missiles that they could be accumulating. And of course, the nuclear testing facilities that they're trying to grow as well. This is mainly because the Biden administration hasn't really had to publicly address any issue with North Korea yet. And the review of the policy is not supposed to be complete and totally done and ironed out until the end of April or early May, according to administration officials. So, they basically want to keep things going smoothly so not so as not to unsettle things before North Korea comes out and does something crazy and then they have to do something. So basically it's just let's just sit back and hope that things don't pop off because that would not be good. Unfortunately, uh, this is something that I think may end up coming to a head during Biden's presidency. And the reason why I say this is because through the Trump administration, our relationship with China has soured an incredible amount, okay? Uh, especially with the amount of tariffs that Trump placed on China, with the amount, I think, of vigor that Trump's base really, really couldn't stand China. Uh, Trump calling the coronavirus the China virus, 
obviously didn't help a whole lot either. Um, and there will have to be some serious diplomatic outreach in and coming out of Biden's administration in order to kind of keep things under lock and key with China. And if relationships with China continue to go downhill and then North Korea were to come out and do something drastic or launch a missile towards the United States or try to hit Hawaii or something like that, it could be, I mean, absolutely a cause of global concern. So at that point, the United States would then be in the position of actively and maybe even physically rebuking North Korea, North Korea and angering China in a huge way, which would not be good because we've seen the amount that China has militarized over the past couple of years in response to the United States, you know, ever-present military you know, in the throughout the entire world, the United States is, or China has started to move into the South China Sea. They are building up and bolstering their military. I mean, in gigantic ways, and have been especially over the past decade. And so, it looks like China is kind of starting to grow their military in a way that they'd be able to deal with the conflict in the United States should that occasion actually arise. And then it would all it would take would you know North Korea coming through and doing something really, really dumb that would end up setting off a gigantic problem in the world, which nobody really wants to happen. So that's a that is definitely a story and that's a thing that we, you know, should be monitoring closely over this upcoming year. And hopefully nothing terrible happens coming out of North Korea. Hopefully also Joe Biden steps forward and actually puts together a decent policy as to how to deal with it as well. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop into our third story and last story, story number three. So for our third story of the day, the 4th of July may be normal again. So 4th of July is now the milestone that has been set for having things somewhat back to what we would always or what we previously would have considered normal, which thank the Lord, because if I have to spend another 4th of July not pounding import beers and eating bratwurst in my bathing suit made in Vietnam with my sunglasses made in China atop a boat manufactured in Mexico on a lake that I got to in my Toyota 4Runner, I am going to lose my marbles. So Biden got up and touted his success with ending the pandemic and getting vaccines out over the past week or so, and we're going to hop in real quick and listen through uh, Joe Biden actually addressing the nation in this about, I think it was a couple days ago. So let's hop in and listen now. When I came into office, you may recall, I set a goal that many of you said was that kind of way over the top. I said I intended to get 100 million shots in people's arms in my first 100 days in office. Tonight, I can say we're not only going to meet that goal, we're going to beat that goal because we've actually on track to reach this goal of 100 million shots in arms on my 60th day in office. No other country in the world has done this. None. I promise I will do everything in my power. I will not relent until we beat this virus. But I need you, the American people, I need you. I need every American to do their part. And that's not hyperbole. I need you. I need you to get vaccinated when it's your turn and when you can find an opportunity. And to help your family, your friends, your neighbors get vaccinated as well. Because here's the point. If we do all this, if we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you your families and friends will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout or a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. 
Okay. Cookout and barbecue, celebrate Independence Day. So, Dr. Fauci went on Morning Joe, which is an MSNBC broadcast, uh, when asked by co host Willie Geis about whether or not we'd be able to have larger gatherings around 4th of July, Dr. Fauci said, quote, You know, that's that's entirely conceivable and possible. So they are pushing hard that the goal is possible. But as you heard Biden say, in order to get there, we still have to work hard over the next few months, social distancing, masks, hand washing, all the good stuff. Biden has really, really worked hard to try and show that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that is something that is definitely needed, especially because there are a lot of people that are just over it. They're tired of the coronavirus, they're tired of having to deal with it, and they're pretty much just going back to normal life, regardless of whether or not it's actually safe to do that. Do so. Biden is trying to put out, basically put the onus on the people of the United States by trying to display that he is also doing his part as well. And there's no doubt that this is a very compelling case that he's making. You can't deny the fact that when Biden said that he was going to have 100 million people vaccinated within his first 100 days, pretty much everyone scoffed at it. I admittedly was very, very skeptical about whether or not this is something that could be done, especially because upon entering office, only about one quarter of that goal had actually been completed in an almost equivalent amount of time. But he got in and he made it happen. And listen, you can argue about whether or not it was, you know, Donald Trump that did that because he set everything up so that the goal could actually be reached. But the bottom line is Joe Biden got in and he did it. He actually did it. Okay. So all joking aside, it really does look like this pandemic is starting to dwindle down and will be dwindled down over the next few months. At this point, there are over 2 million people a day that are getting the vaccine. There are multiple vaccines being distributed. And the good part is, as more people are getting it and not growing a lizard tail or any kind of crazy stuff that they were worried would happen, more people are becoming more comfortable with actually getting the vaccine. So with so many people getting it and millions and millions of more people that have already had it, and the research shows that although you can get it a second time, it is highly unlikely that you do get it a second time. And if you do, it's significantly less detrimental to your physical health. It really does look like herd immunity is actually a possibility. So if we look back to around December or January, we got up over 300,000 new cases a day in the United States. Right now, we're looking at around 40 to 50,000 per day, which is a huge difference in the number of new cases. And daily deaths have also dropped precipitously as well. So... The only caveat I will say to all this is that Europe is actually also seeing another huge surge in cases right now, and that's not a good thing. So over the past year or so, we've actually seen uh, that Europe is normally about two or so weeks ahead of what ends up happening in the United States. Almost every time that there's been a, new, a huge surge or there's been a huge decline, the Europe has always outpaced the United States, uh, the Europe, Europe the continent has outpaced the United States by about two to three weeks. Um, so a lot of health officials in the United States are actually worried that another wave is going to come in through the United States because it will be following pretty much the same trajectory that is happening in Europe. And I think that that is lining up very, very well with and very pointedly with why the Biden administration is starting to go around right now and do a lot of his travel in the Hope is Here tour, which we talked about on our Monday podcast, in order to be able to tout the benefits of what has worked so far in the coronavirus pandemic and fighting it, and why we should continue to do that in order to be able to drown the pandemic out completely. So 
Hopefully, all of that actually happens because that would obviously be incredibly beneficial. I would love to be able to go out and hang out with some friends and family on the 4th of July and have a great time. Obviously, I think that uh, mask wearing and social distancing is going to be a norm for a little while longer, whether we like it or not. But thinking about being able to go back to some sense of normalcy here soon is honestly very, very uh I'm looking forward to that. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our third story, our last story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on in to our segment that we normally do on Wednesdays called Bro What? So my Bro What for this week actually comes out of the Center for Disease Control um, within the past week or so. So they updated some of their recommendations around how you should go to the gym and the things that you should be doing when you go to the gym. So for the most part, uh, it seems like pretty normal stuff, okay? You should wash your hands frequently. You should wear your, your mask, you know, when you're working out indoors. Uh, gyms should have very good ventilator systems. They should be wiping everything down throughout the day. All stuff that is, for the most part, pretty standard process. However, as reported by NBC News, they also gave some really, really interesting insights into what exactly you should do if you have to take a shower at the gym. Although they did not say that you should, right? They said that you should basically avoid the shower at the gym altogether. They said if you have to, you should keep your mask on while in the shower the entire time until or unless you have to get your head or your face wet. Then it's okay to remove the mask, but then shortly thereafter, you have to put your mask back on while in the shower. But also, if your mask gets wet, you need to replace it, and you need to make sure to bring multiple masks while you're at the gym. So the CDC is actually recommending that if you go to the gym, you should shower with your mask on. Really, really intense mask wearing stuff coming out of the CDC right there. And I just honestly started cracking up thinking about myself going to the local YMCA and standing in the shower with my mask on, which would be, be absolutely ridiculous. So I uh, thought that was pretty hilarious and thought that I would share it with y'all. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our show today. Thank you so much for stopping by and for checking us out. As always, y'all look me up on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on YouTube and Facebook at Split the Difference, and of course, my website at Split the Difference as well. Please go and check me out. Drop me all of the likes and subscribes and five star reviews that you can, because all of that stuff goes a very, very long way with helping my podcast get into the ears of many new people that may enjoy listening to it. As always, y'all remember we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We are always going to be reasonable. And, of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.